Welcome to ETF Working Lunch, an ETF.com podcast in partnership with women in ETFs. We get together with some of the smartest women in the business and we talk shop. I'm Cynthia Murphy from ETF.com, and I am joined today by none other than Nancy Davis, founder and CIO of Quadratic Capital. Welcome, Nancy. Hi, Cynthia. I'm really excited that you're, you're joining the show today, Nancy. It's, it's always really exciting to talk to a creator. You've created this one-of-a-kind ETF, um, ticker IVOL, that it's a smashing success in, you know, short, what, two years has been? You've already had more than $2.5 billion in assets. It's one of the most successful launches we've seen since 2019. Like I said, it's a one of a kind. There's nothing else like it. It's an interesting play on inflation. So let's start there. Tell us a little bit, you know, of, of how IVOL works for those who don't know. Yeah, no, thank you, Cynthia, for all those kind words. It's really been, um, I think, a, a career vision of mine to solve what we saw as a, a problem for investors in terms of capturing inflation and inflation expectations. This kind of all started, I guess, um, back when uh, I, I spent the the first about a decade of my career at Goldman Sachs. And when I started at Goldman, I was very interested in the inflation protection market because that's when the U.S. Treasury in the late 90s created the tips market. And so I guess um, I've all has been a uh, an evolution over the course of my career of, you know, being interested in inflation and and how to measure inflation. And I think the the big premise is we just don't think the only way to measure inflation is the consumer price index. And we use tips. We we like tips. We have nothing against tips, but tips are all reset using CPI. And the CPI is just just like, you know, if you were to own the equity market and you own the Dow Jones, but you didn't own, you know, the NASDAQ, it's just a index. And so it's been really exciting to try to augment the measure for inflation and trying to really solve uh, a problem that we saw that existed in the market. Now, the, the way this fund works, so uh, I've all invest in tips, but then you rely on derivatives, right, to achieve this kind of inflation measure diversification? Well, derivatives is such a big, it's kind of like talking, you know, if you talk about fruit, you know, derivatives are, there are lots of different types of derivatives. And um, I'm not personally a big fan of linear derivatives, like swaps, futures, forwards. Those are derivatives that go, uh, they go up and down a dollar, meaning linear. And I'm I'm personally not a big fan of using those instruments in eyeball we use long options. So meaning we buy options. The reason we do that is inflation can go negative. There is no zero bound. It's not like stocks where, you know, a stock can only go to zero. Inflation, you could have deflation. Um, Lots of things are possible. So we use options specifically and they're long options. Um, Just to warn your viewers, you have to be very careful with options because, when you buy an option, um, there is not an obligation beyond the the premium, the market value of the premium. But when you sell an option, which is what a lot of a lot of strategies out there, especially in the equity world, whenever you see the word right, buy right, put right, covered, all of those sell volatility. So whenever you sell an option, you sell vol. Whenever you buy an option, you buy vol. So 
I, I'm not a big fan. I, I agree with Warren Buffett. He said in the, you know, before the financial crisis that derivatives were weapons of financial mass destruction. I think I'm more kind of in that camp. I don't like all derivatives. I don't use any linear derivatives like futures forward swaps. We only use long options to access coupled with the tips, the treasuries with inflation protection. So sorry to stand on my soapbox, but I do feel very <laughs> passionate that, you know, not all derivatives are equal. And what we do is um, is a very specific, you know, to use that analogy type of fruit. No, it's it's a, this is the platform for the soapbox. So I'm glad you brought it because I was going to ask you, you know, I think in, especially in the ETF space, a lot of people get really nervous very quickly when you even use the word derivatives associated with a strategy. Strategy, there's this immediate reaction of complexity, hard to understand, risks I don't fully understand. And so, you know, I was going to ask you if there's misconceptions that you think in the ETF space people may have about derivatives in general, but it sounds like some of these maybe, you know, beliefs or stereotypes are well-founded. Well, I think another thing that that's a little bit of a, a misconception is volatility, right? I don't think most ETF investors are aware that in uh, the majority of fixed income portfolios, they and their clients are actually short volatility in the fixed income side of the portfolio. And that that definitely has been an education thing. Volatility refers to anything that has volatility. It, it goes back to options markets, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's sort of like a Kleenex and a tissue. It's just different words, volatility and options. It's really the same thing because volatility goes into what prices options. So when you hear the word volatility, it's also you know an, another word for digging into what type of derivative that means options and um most fixed income investors have mortgages inside their portfolio and although mortgages are a single qsip item they are short volatility and that's because in the united states the homeowner can prepay their loan whenever they want the homeowner is long the option. The owner of the financial mortgage is short the option to the homeowner. Mm -hmm. And so the mortgage market has lots of fancy terms for this, like convexity correction or prepayment risk. But I think the one thing that I really try to educate investors is that, you know, if you have the Barclays Ag Index, for instance, you should be aware that about 28%, almost a third of your portfolio is short fixed income volatility. And I don't think most people really get that. And you you just have to always think about it. it comes back to who is long the option, who is short the option. And a owner of a financial mortgage is short the option, therefore short vol. So iVol not only offers a, you know, a broader view on, of inflation in general um, by expanding the metric here, but it also allows you to be long volatility on a fixed income sleeve. If you think of fixed income as your, you know, your ag allocation and you don't really get more granular than that, why is it so important to be long volatility in your fixed income sleeve? Well, let's just take the ag for a second. The ag is short volatility from mortgages and the ag used to be, it used to be the Weeman ag and the ag was created that index before the tips market was even invented by the U.S. Treasury in the late 90s. So the ag has 
A, no inflation protection. Uh, about 40% is nominal treasuries, which is treasuries with no inflation protection. So there are no tips, no inflation protection. And then the ag is only short vol from the mortgages. So many um, ETF strategists use IVOL, I, I learned this term, I didn't know this term before, that, but they use it as a completion portfolio. That is, I don't know, maybe I'm new to the ETF world relatively, but um, have you heard that term before, a completion portfolio? No. Basically, it's not a replacement for the ag, it's just to complement the ag. And, you know, I think a lot of investors have the ag because they want to have diversified fixed income exposure. They're not necessarily uh, realizing that the ag doesn't have inflation protection and that the ag is only short vol. Sounds like the education hurdle here uh, for you in the last two years has been massive. <laughs> is that is that an accurate statement? Well, I, I want people to understand what the fund is, right? You know, we it has like a really long name, right? The quadratic <laughs> interest rate volatility and inflation hedge ETF. It's a mouthful to say because we want people to understand. Like, I think one of the things that attracted me to the ETF, you know, wrapper as an active manager is the transparency. And so we really want people to understand what the fund does. And a lot of that is education. You know, a lot of people have not, um, they they think fixed income, they think the Barclays Ag, and it's really a question of of trying to educate them about what, what the goals are, what the investment objective is, you know, being very symmetric, how we can make money, how we can lose money, what are the risks. And, and so, yeah, we spend a lot of time trying to be educational and, you know, eyeball might not be appropriate for everybody, but we we have seen a lot of institutional investors use it. And a lot of my time has been, um, I'm actually surprised with, we actually have a lot of professional fund managers who use it. Like I, I didn't create the ETF for other fund managers, but it's been uh, something that, you know, whether we have endowments, pensions, fund of funds who typically allocate to other managers who use it, other fixed income managers use it within their funds. So it's been a it's been pretty uh, pretty neat to see. I think that's a great thing about ETFs is as a product, anyone can use it. Well, and, and in this case, I think what's so fascinating is that there's no other ETF like it. So once you get it, what this fund does, you can't actually even go shop around for a different wrapper or a different strategy that offers the same type of exposure, which is such a great niche for you, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's, um, I guess I've always been, um, I'm a long option person, a long convexity, long gamma girl, which is a very unusual, you know, most people in the world of derivatives use linear derivatives, futures forward swaps. And then in the world of options, most people sell options generally. And I'm kind of pretty different because I like to buy options. Um, mm -hmm. So I've always been a different thinker. But to me, it's a really important thing for investors to have you know, something different in their portfolio, because at the end of the day, whether it's eyeball or something else, the whole goal of portfolio construction and diversification is having things that aren't like each other. And mm -hmm. um, I think it's, uh, it's really been a pleasure to bring something to market that isn't, you know, it's not slicing and dicing uh, stocks and, you know, by different risks or, and I, I think there are a lot of, I don't mean to, uh, there are a lot of wonderful ETF strategies that provide um, incredible access to equity markets and to credit markets. But we definitely saw, you know, a need in the inflation space because many people use um, 
tips by themselves, which are long duration, meaning when yields go higher, they mathematically will lose money because uh, bond yields higher means bond prices lower. Mm -hmm. So you can see like this year, interest rates have moved higher and tip funds are down. That's because of the duration. And then fixed income investors having the short vol from mortgages, which we're very happy to offer, I believe, I'm not sure about all the ETFs because they're more, I don't know every ETF, but I haven't heard another ETF that's long fixed income volatility. Have you? No, not that I've seen. But there are lots of ETFs on the equity side that use, uh, that sell volatility. That's pretty common, whether it's like uh, buffered notes where they sell two options and buy one, you know, that can be, it depends on the vol profile. But when you sell an option, you're selling volatility. Um, When you buy an option, you're buying volatility. So yeah, I guess I'm a bit of a purist. <laughs> well, you know, when I think about iFall too, um, how much would you say has been, you know, to, to get from that zero to $100 million and then from $100 million to $2.5 billion in assets, has the hurdle been mostly education, you know, explaining the story, or has it also been just a market environment situation where right now everyone is concerned about inflation? So all of a sudden it just hits the right spot where people are looking for solutions to navigate what could be an inflationary period. It's hard to say. I'm, I'm not sure. I, I, you know, look, when we listed Ival, I thought it would be billions of dollars like within the first week. So uh, to me, I feel like why in the world has it taken so long to get there? Um, I just was, you know, I guess I was like, who wouldn't want this, you know, kind of attitude. Um, So for me, it was just more like, oh my gosh, why is it taking so long? Like it's so, it is so different and it is, uh, you know, I do really believe in the, in the product and the strategy. We're not always going to make money. You know, it is an inflation fund. Uh, you know, there are ways that we can lose money. I'm just trying to be symmetric, but I, I'm shocked that it wasn't two and a half billion, like the first, you know, week. Right. So I'm glad that we finally got there. And, um, you know, I do think it, it, I think it solves, you know, a problem that exists for investors where, especially ETF investors, because there's, so many funds in the fixed income space that slice and dice the credit market, right? There's a, it seems like there's an ETF for every part of credit, Mm -hmm. you know, whether it's floating rate notes or high yield bonds or investment grade, or, you know, there's even private credit. But the, the problem with credit, any bond that has credit exposure is it's still a corporate, right? So you might be in a different part of the cap structure, but if that corporate has a management problem issue or a sector issue or a product launch issue or a management team issue, you know, credit spreads tend to widen when equities sell off. So if you have a portfolio that's, you know, got a bunch of credit risk in it, it might not give you the diversification that you're seeking by having bonds and equities. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like there are very few products in the ETF universe that access the rates market, interest rates, that is. Mm -hmm. Um, And the rates market is one of the, the biggest markets in the world. And, you know, I don't know if this is true, but I've, I've heard stats saying that, you know, 80% of global net worth is in the real estate market and most real estate investors try to have interest rate hedges, but I think most ETF investors just don't. They're very concentrated in credit and equities. So it's, uh, you know, I've been very uh, happy to bring 
kind of, I, I see it as like a, a new asset class to the world of ETFs by giving access to this market. No, it's, it's fascinating. So Nancy, to, to talk a little bit about, you know, your journey in, into this space as a portfolio manager for IVOL uh, and really the brains behind this ETF, how do you measure success? Is it all about the, the asset gathering pace or to you is something else? Oh, it's definitely something else. Um, I am very proud to deliver a differentiated product to the ETF world. The rates market is one of the biggest asset classes in the world. I think it's incredibly important for investors to be thinking about inflation, to be thinking about interest rates. We have many investors who don't think there's going to be inflation uh, at all, but they still use IVOL because the rest of their portfolio is positioned for deflation. And so I think it's just one of those things that, you know, it feels good to do something innovative and solve, you know, potentially problems for investors. And so for me, it's all about, you know, when you're focused on bettering client outcomes, that's what that's what matters. Do you find that the, the ETF ecosystem, I mean, we like to think of as the, you know, the cool kids in the financial markets. Uh, everybody is so nice and so supportive. It really is a friendly bunch. Um, at least that has been my experience. And I think in general, that's the vibe you get when you think about the ETF space. Do you think that has been, um, that's true, is that has been your experience when you're trying to build an ETF from scratch, have you found the industry to be, you know, ready for you, welcoming, ready to support you in all the ways that, you know, a new a new business needs? Oh, definitely. I mean, I think the the ETF ecosystem is just exceptional. It's incredibly supportive. I think I do want to educate the institutional community about ETFs. It's um, I do feel like there's a huge gap between many institutional investors who are stuck on commingled funds like private funds or using separate accounts. And I think the institutional world needs some help to understand, especially with the active ETF, it's, it's manager selection, just like they're used to doing with separate accounts and with IMAs. It's just more efficient because you don't, you know, setting up an IMA takes a very long time. It's very hard to, you know, uh, to, from a legal point of view with all the, the docs. And I think many institutional investors really should be focused on strategy and wrapper agnostic. So I think there's a lot we can do in the ETF you know, ecosystem to educate institutional investors that ETFs are, are great wrappers for their strategies and you don't necessarily need a, a separate account or a private co-mingled fund to access some very, very high quality managers. What's amazing to me about that is just, you know, I mean, we're what, 25 years in or so since the 30 years in, since the first ETF came to market for the institutional space to still be so early days to adoption. Is it just an education barrier here? Is it like an inertia barrier? They're just, you know, happy with what they're used to. So the incentive to go look for better solutions isn't there. It's kind of surprising, really. It's very surprising. I don't know. I think it's just people hear ETF. And I think on the institutional side, they think, you know, passive 
index replication retail product. And then it just stops there. It's like ETF is just like a, oh no, where, you know, we do manager selection or, oh no, we focus on, you know, niche differentiated strategies. I think it's just a, um, I think it's just a lack of intellectual curiosity and a lack of experience. But I, I am excited. There are many institutional investors that are embracing ETFs. I know with Ival, we have, you know, I, I don't know exactly, but I, I've, I've heard stats that more than half of our investor base is institutional. So I am really optimistic about moving the needle. And I think that's something that we as an ETF community can do to say, look, you don't necessarily need to have a separate account when you're implementing manager selection or you don't need a public fund and really explaining that. And I think I think the insurance space in particular is very fast moving and has been moving more towards embracing the ETF technology. But I think on the institutional, like on the pension fund side, it's it's very slow. And I think it it it's really also with ed, institutional consultants, you know, having consultants understand that using active ETFs is just like any other manager selection that they do. It's just lower fees and better liquidity and mm-hmm. no lockups. You know, it's like, why, what's not to like about that? Yeah. <laughs> All the good stuff. Yeah, it's good for clients. It's good for clients. So before I let you go, you know, I love your disruptive thinking about everything. So, you know, what's next? What are you going to be up to next? Or what kind of innovation out there do you find exciting right now, even if somebody else is is pushing it through? I definitely am very focused. You know, I'm a very uh, specialist with what I do with OTC uh, options. So it's um, my world is is highly specialized. I think it's um, well suited for hiring an active manager because it is so specialized. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm I'm sure Cynthia that you're much more up to speed than me about innovations in the ETF ecosystem and in the industry. I'm. I, I see a lot of buffered products coming out, and I know um, those have been pretty popular, but I would just caution investors to understand what you own because those strategies buy one option and sell two. It tends to be buying a put spread and selling a covered call. And whenever you sell an option, you just have to be very, very careful with um there are a whole bunch of risks. I probably can't even articulate them all, but it's. Uh, I think it's just really important. Whatever you own, you know, whether it's an index or you know, an active fund, or it doesn't really matter. I think it's just going down to understand what's inside the portfolio. If you own the Barclays AG, know there's no inflation protection. Know that you know, twenty eight percent of it is mortgages, which are short ball. And I think it's just a question of understanding what the risks are and, uh, and, and trying to know, just don't go by the name of a strategy. You have to see what's inside of it. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Wise words. So we'll have to leave it there. Congrats on the success of Ival and, and thanks so much for joining me today, Nancy. Thanks so much for having me, Cynthia. It's great to catch up. If you'd like to check out previous episodes of ETF Working Lunch, check out ETF.com. If you'd like to learn more or get involved with Women in ETFs, check out womeninetfs.com. Thanks for listening today, and we'll catch up with you next time. 